evening, everybody. Good morning to you, too. We are uh, continuing in our, our look at the letter to the Romans. So I'd ask you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Uh, Romans chapter 1. For, for a moment, uh, Pastor Sean, you were talking about the church plant in San Diego. And I thought I could hear the Spirit speaking to me. That's right. um, you know, just, I, I don't know if it was the Spirit's uh, prompting or, or, or what, but it, I, I almost heard him say, who will go with us? Who um, <laughs> shall I send? Let's see. Are we are we here? I think I'm in and out here today, but we're we'll be okay. If you're there in Romans one, say I'm there. Amen. All right. Cool. Cool. Romans chapter one, beginning at verse twenty-eight. Romans one, beginning at verse twenty-eight. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. To do what ought not to be done. Now we know that this is in the context of what uh, Paul, uh, of the, 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 this part of Paul's argument that he began in verse 18. So let's, let's go up, back up to verse 18 and let's just hear it again. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him, literally but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling and creeping things. Now we have this cycle here. Therefore, God gave to impurity their bodies among themselves. Look at verse 26. For this reason God gave them to since they did not see fit knowledge God to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. Let's pray that God would give us insight into his word. about what he says of us, and that we would also see Jesus to be our one and only hope. Let's pray. By your grace and by your mercy, I, I pray that you would help us to see things as you see them. Help us to trust that your word. We need your help. 
We need your spirit. So please, Father, would you make your word known to us? And I pray, Lord, by your grace, that it would penetrate into the depths of our souls, that we would recognize that there is one hope in life and in death, and it is Jesus. That we would no longer trust in ourselves or in our own devices, but that we would trust wholeheartedly in Christ Jesus. We thank you. Lord, if there's anyone here that does not believe in Jesus, I pray, Lord, that it would be undeniable that, that he is exactly who he says he is. And may they turn from their sin and turn fully to Christ, that they may be rescued by your grace from darkness into light. We ask big things, Lord, because you're a big God, and you're able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. So have your way among us. Magnify Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, since the early 1900s, a company named Good Housekeeping has been in the business of testing products, consumer products, uh, to see whether those products are reliable or not. You ask, why in the world would we need a good housekeeping uh, company to do that? Well, because as we got to the, uh, the 1800s, the end of the 1800s with the Industrial Revolution and so on, now all of a sudden there are factories and there's machinery to mass produce products for this growing nation of ours. And they understood that the way to get people to buy products was to convince them that their product was worth buying. And that led, of course, as we know by now in this well-matured uh, market of ours, that, that most of the claims aren't true at all, <laughs> right? Right? Buy this uh, this cream, you know, for your hair, and in two to four weeks, you'll notice that you'll have this thick lion-like mane, you know, and uh, and or or brush with this uh, toothpaste and with this toothbrush, and and after just a few weeks, your your sunshiny uh, yellow teeth will look more like pearly whites. You know, uh, uh, eat, eat these uh, supplements, and, and if you eat these supplements, you will lose 20 pounds tomorrow. You know, just all of these things uh, that people say, and so you had uh, can, uh, a good housekeeping that said, okay, we need to test these things. We need to test and verify whether these things are actually true or not. And to show that they were true, after going through their rigorous testing, uh, uh, they, they would give uh, something that wound up becoming a coveted prize. They would give the good housekeeping seal of approval. How many of y'all have seen that before? The seal of approval. That's their way of saying, after testing this, we can vouch that this uh, uh, product does exactly what it is advertised to do. And so they've tested in various categories. They've tested appliances. They've tested beauty products. They've tested automobiles. They've tested clothing. They've tested cooking tools, electronics, health and fitness products, home and cleaning products, toys, all of these different things. If you could get that seal of approval that says to everybody, this is exactly what it says it is, and it does exactly what it says it does. 
Romans gives us some bad news here. And the bad news is that we looked at God and we had the audacity to say that God does not live up to our approval. God does not meet our standards. We have tested him, and we see him as a failure. God is not who he says he is. God does not do what he says that he will do. That's what all of us have said at one point or another in our lives. You may have been a three-year-old, and you prayed and prayed for God to, to give you this special toy for Christmas. And God, if you give me this toy, I will give my life to you. My life is yours. And, 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 and what you didn't realize is, well, God absolutely can give you uh, uh, that toy, uh, but, but God usually works through your parents. And one, your parents aren't always, you know, uh, submitting to the will of God, and, 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 and that's a problem. Uh, but it's also that God could, in his providence and in his wisdom, say, no. But you took that no as God isn't for me. God doesn't like me. God must not exist. Now, we hear that three-year-old, and we look at him, and we go, oh, you're cute. <laughs> but if we're honest, we realize that it's not just three-year-olds that have come to that conclusion, is it? There are 33-year-olds that have also wrestled with that. God, why didn't you deliver my parent from COVID? God, why didn't you save my business? God, why, why didn't you save my, my child God, why didn't you do all of these things? And we've tested God, and after testing him, we've said, nah, God's not for me. He's not the one. Uh, maybe it's not because you've done anything like that. Maybe it's just simply you want to live your life the way you want to live your life. No one can tell you what to do. No one is going to get in your way. You are going to do you. And here is a God in heaven that says, I made you. I formed you. I created you. You are mine. And we say, I don't want to be yours. Because if I'm yours, then that means that I've got to answer to you. And if I answer to you, then that means that I've got to do things that I don't want to do and, and that I can't do things that I do want to do. And, and I just don't want to live my life like that. I want to be free. I want to, I want to fly like, with, with wings. I want, to, I want to go and live my life any way that I want to live my life. And therefore, we say, God, you don't get my seal of approval. However we get there, all of us have gotten there. And that's Paul's point here in our passage today. All of us, all of us, in one way or another, have come to that conclusion at one point in our lives. And that is why all of us are deserving of the wrath of God.
Now, in verse 18, as Pastor Travis preached a couple weeks ago, we saw that, uh, that, that there are different dimensions or different phases to the wrath of God, okay? Uh, you can talk about the future tense wrath of God, and, and we're all familiar with the Bible's language there. We talk about the fire, the lake of fire. We talk about eternal punishment. We talk about eternal judgment and so on. And in that sense, yes, all of us outside of Christ are under the wrath of God, future tense. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul is talking here about the present tense wrath of God. If you are here today and you are not covered by the righteousness of Christ, if you are not covered by his uh, sacrifice, if you are not covered with his love, you stand in the elements, if you will, of God's wrath. You need the umbrella, you need the canopy of, of Christ to cover you from the damaging rays, if you will, of God's wrath. And if you don't, then you will be exposed, and there's none of us here that can survive his wrath. You are under his present tense wrath. And what does that present tense wrath look like? It's those three mentions, uh, 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 mentions that we have here in verse 24, in verse 26, and in verse 28, God gives gives us up. I tried to demonstrate this with my kids uh, the, the, uh, the other day. Uh, it was actually last night. Um, let's get one of them. Uh, I know Micaiah doesn't want to come up. So Noah, you come up because I know you always want to come up. So Noah, you come on up here. All right. Now let's say that uh, Noah is, is you. All right. Just typical human, human being, average person. All right. And uh, let's say that that keyboard, because I'm a guitarist, let's say that keyboard is sin, all right? <laughs> and Noah wants to get uh, that, that keyboard. So go ahead, Noah. Go and get that keyboard. Go ahead. Oh, oh, you're, wow, you're heavier than I thought. All right, come on. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. There you go. Yeah. This, uh, for sake of illustration, is God. And this is God with our hearts raging, saying, I want the sin. Boy, will you, boy, give me the weight. Go over here. Okay. So <laughs> God's saying, I want this sin. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. We are the ones saying, I want this sin. I want to do it. And God is saying, no, I love you. With my grace and my mercy, I will not let you do the thing that you want to do. But there comes a time with all of us in humanity where God in his wrath says, fine. Thank you, Noah. All right, now you go set up. <laughs> you think living for eternity in the flames of fire is terrifying? Think how terrifying it is that God would give us what we want. Think about that. The present tense wrath of God right now is he lets us pursue the things that we want. You say, why is that bad? Well, that's bad because what we want isn't what's best for us. In fact, what we want very well will kill us. We'll see this here in the text. We don't know what we need 
we only know what we want, and we pursue it with everything that we have, in fact, fully conscious of the consequences and the effects of this. And God in his wrath says, okay, go. Do it. And he, if you will, consigns us. He, 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 he brings us up un, uh, into our sin and brings us up under his wrath so that we are only further confirming and securing our judgment. That's terrifying. Paul says here that it begins with our saying, God, you don't meet our standards. You do not get our seal of approval. Look at this here in the text. Look where he says in verse 28. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. That's that problem there. That's the problem. Right? The word there for see fit in the Greek uh, is, is, is the word for testing. That's, that's why I use that, that illustration with good housekeeping. It's, it's a testing term. It, it's to test the, the validity of something, to test the value of something, test the worth of something. And Paul says here, we tested God and we said, eh. We had the opportunity to know him. We had the opportunity to be in a relationship with him, which I think is the extent of knowledge here. Knowledge isn't just uh, uh, the uh, cognition of, of something or, or, or an understanding of the concept of something. It's, it's not just conceptual, it's relational. How do I know that? Well, because in Genesis uh, 4, uh, the first verse, it says, Adam knew Eve. Now, we go, okay, Adam's been living with Eve since creation, <laughs> and he's there with his, with his bride and, and, and all of that, and then all of a sudden in chapter 4, it says Adam knew her, like they weren't just living life all this time, and all of a sudden he goes, hey, by the way, my name's Adam, what's your name? Is that what's going on? No. I know that because the next phrase is, and she conceived. <laughs> So whatever the knowing is going on here, it's more than conceptual, all right? The knowing here is relational. It's intimate. He knows her personally. He knows the very depths of her person here, okay? So, so uh, in Romans 1 and, and in much of the scripture, when it speaks of knowing, it's not just talking about a conceptual knowledge. It's talking about a relational knowledge, okay? I know Annie as, as more than her parents know her. All right, because that's the joy of marriage. We've known each other to the very depths of our souls. That's why we call ourselves soulmates. All right, because there's something about her that no matter how many years that I've been alive without her, if she's out of town, I struggle to sleep. Husbands, how many of y'all are like that? You know, when when mama's out of town, you're just like, I don't know how to function. Where's the food in this place? You know, and it's like it's it's in the refrigerator where it's always been. Yeah, but I don't even know how to get there anymore. She's gone. You know why? Because we're so connected to one another. We're so fused together that I know her. We finish each other's sentences. There are plenty of times that she looks at me and before we before I even open my mouth, she goes, no. 
And I'm like, what are you, like a mind reader now or something? She knows me, see? And I know her. We had the opportunity to have that kind of deep, personal, relational knowledge of God, and we said, nah, nah, pass. And because we disapprove of knowing God, because it doesn't get our seal of approval, Paul says here, God gave them up to a debased mind. Now, you don't see this in English as much as you see this in the Greek, but that word for see fit, that testing, that approving, or whatever, it's the same word here in uh, adjective form for the mind. So it's almost like this, because we disapprove of knowing God, God has given us a disapproved mind. In other words, we said with our minds, I don't want to know God that way. I don't want to be that close to him. I don't want to be conscious of him. I don't want to have to think about him every single day, everywhere I go, everything I do. And so God says, okay, then I'm going to give you a mind that doesn't pass my tests. It's like getting a, 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 a car. You go to a used car dealership. And you, you look at the car, it looks fascinating. It looks great. You look at the speedometer and you're like, 100 and what miles? An-? Okay, all right, let's go. You know, it's got a little touch screen in there and, 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 and all of that. There's only one problem uh, the transmission is shot. For those of you who don't know, the transmission are the gears that you use to, to drive and things like that, just in case there's folks who don't know cars. Um, or folks who drive electric cars, and I don't even know what they are. Um, <laughs> you just press the button or something, or tell Siri to move. I don't know. <laughs> but we look at at, uh, at, 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 at at a car, and it looks all great and everything, but it doesn't have a transmission. The transmission is shot in it. Guess what? It's defective. And you can drive with it, but you're not going to do much. It doesn't work. It doesn't function the way that it's supposed to function. God gives us minds. He gives us over to a mind that doesn't function the way it's supposed to function. And the result of it is here that we do what ought not to be done. Because we disapprove of knowing God, God gives us over to a disapproved mindset. And that disapproved mindset looks like we do whatever we want to do. Whatever we think looks good. Whatever we think is right. Whatever sounds good to me, that's what we do. Notice the, the, the play again. We said God doesn't meet our seal of approval. He doesn't meet our standards And so God consigns us, if you will, to a life and a mind that doesn't meet his standards. What does that look like? Well, what we're going to see is Paul's going to give us a list of 21 things, 21 results, if you will. And the vast majority of these results, I can summarize with this, we, because we decided that God wouldn't meet up To our standards, we did not approve of knowing him. God makes sure in his wrath that every single one of our relationships 
eventually falls apart. Every aspect of society is now infected with sin. And every single aspect of society is doomed. Now, if I can talk a little bit here, um, because there are some folks who say, well, you know, the Bible doesn't talk about societal things. The Bible only talks about individual things. So you, if you have not trusted in Christ as your Savior, you must turn away from your sin, and we call that repentance, and turn toward God wholeheartedly in trust, saying, Jesus and only Jesus can save my soul. And if you do so, you will be saved. Amen. Hallelujah. That's the good news of the gospel. But that's not all that the gospel promises. And that's not all that the gospel teaches us. You see, because here's the problem. We individuals, we sinners, connect with other sinners. And when we connect with other sinners, we have a tendency to go, let's sin together. And then when we sin together, we go, let's make sure that no one can stop us from sinning. So what do we do? We create institutions and structures that say, hey, you now must not go so far as to tell us to stop doing the sins that we like to do. And so we're going to continue to do it. And if you stop, if you stop us, we're going to come after you. And we're going to punish you. We're going to make your life miserable because you're keeping us from our first love. And so notice how it metastasizes, if you will. So these individual sins now become community sins, which now become institutional sins. And on and on and on, it morphs and morphs. And the good news of Scripture is, one, we expose that these things are real, and two, we come at it with the power of Christ. We say only Jesus can fix this. Only Jesus can fix sin on our individual levels, and only Christ can fix sin all the way up to the top levels. Only Christ is able to make all things new. And that's the promise of Scripture. The promise of Scripture is that Jesus will make all things new, which means, according to Scripture, all things must be made new. If things were fine as they were, then why does Jesus have to renew it? And so we look at this list and we realize that this permeates every aspect of our societies. And because it permeates every aspect of our society, we are doomed. But I don't want to leave us there. I want us to see this list, but I also want us to recognize that we have a Savior. And oh, how good it is when I get to talk about him. All right, hold on, but we got to get through this list first, okay? I divide this list up into four different categories. Four different categories, okay? The first category is uh, of this disapproving mindset that does whatever it wants to do, that does what ought not to be done, is we destroy restraints, that's the first thing we do. We destroy restraints. Look at verse 29. He says, They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. Do you see that there? God has put healthy restraints in our lives. Okay? 
You, let's just think naturally. Let's just think naturally. We have the restraint that we call gravity. All right? Gravity is the restraint that keeps our feet on the ground. All right? My bride, I love her to death. But in college, she was crazy. And uh, literally, her maiden name was Wreck. And, and, and so I like to say that, that she was a wreck before she met me. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I may need a ride home after this. Um, but one of the things that she loved to do was she loved to rock climb. And she would uh, try to get me to rock climb with her. And I told her, and I'll tell you also, that there's a list, okay? And this list is called Things Black People Don't Do. <laughs> All right? Um, it's, a, it's a very good list. Uh, and pretty much anything that defies gravity, nah, automatic. That's on the list. We don't do those types of things. All right? Why don't we do those things? We don't do those things because, well, you know, there's this thing as we try to defy gravity. Well, the fact of the matter is gravity is still there, right? And you can defy it all you want, but eventually you're going to come back down to earth. And I would like to stay here on earth or at least limit the distance, you know, of the fall and everything so that, you know, I don't hurt myself in a very, very bad way, all right? Uh, but but, but uh, we talk about that naturally. Spiritually, we've got a bigger problem. We, don't, we aren't just trying to defy gravity, if we will. We're trying to defy the very standards that God has placed in our lives. And we say, no, I don't want to do that. No, I, 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 I want to live my life the way I want to live it. Get these restraints out of the way so that I can do whatever I want. I, wanna, I don't want to live righteously. I want to live unrighteously. I, I don't want to do what's good. I want to do what's evil. I, I, don't, I don't want to just have my stuff. I want your stuff too. And, and, and I don't just want my life to be okay. I want your life to be miserable. You see what's going on? So now what are we doing? We start using that mind, that debased mind, and we start thinking of ways that we can get around the rules and ways that we can get around the, the standards, ways that we can get around the restraints. We can look for loopholes and all of that so that we can get what we want. We destroy restraints. Next, we destroy relationships. Look at verse 29. Right in the middle, he says, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. Do you see that there? Full of envy. I can't rejoice in your joy. We, 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 we have that, right? Somebody gets married or someone gets engaged and you automatically go, man, I wish I was engaged. How come I'm not engaged? Nobody likes me. And everybody's fawning over the person. Oh, my goodness, look at the ring. It's so beautiful. And you're just sitting there seething because it didn't happen to you. See? Or someone gets a job promotion, and you're wondering why you're still burning the candle at both ends. You're, I can't, I can't rejoice in that person's joy. I can only rejo rejoice if I get some of that joy, too. Envy, murder, 
And I know you look at that and you go, well, scratch that one off. That's not one of my problems. Oh, really? Because the Lord Jesus said that if you speak hatefully towards someone else, that heart of murder is already in you. No, you didn't take their lives physically. Oh, but you're working hard to take their lives emotionally. You're working hard to take their lives mentally. You're working hard to ruin their lives, to abuse them, to make their lives miserable. Jesus says, you are a murderer. Look at all that you're seeking to destroy. Strife. You love a good fight. You fight over everything, argue over everything. Deceit. You will trick somebody uh, uh, in order that you can get ahead and all of that. Maliciousness. Uh, the, 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 the word there could probably also be translated spite, spitefulness, and all of this. Notice the, the, the cemetery, the graveyard of relationships here. And as you're wiping through so many relationships, why? Because all you care about is you. You don't care about the other person. Again, do we see this in society? We see it all over our society. Do you see it in you? We destroy restraints. We destroy relationships. Next, we destroy reputations. At the end of verse 29, they're gossips, slanderers, into verse 30, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Do you see this? We will wreck somebody's reputation with gossip and slander. We shake our fist at God and say, I hate you. I don't want, any, I don't want you to have any part of my life. We are insolent. The, the Greek there, the word there is where we get our word hubris from. And so we're just bombastic and arrogant. We're boastful. We are inventors of evil. We take the resources that God has given us, and instead of using them for the good of ourselves and the good of our neighbors and so on, we use them and corrupt them for evil purposes. We use them to destroy other people. You have a form of communication like Twitter, for instance. That should be an opportunity for you to communicate with people all over the world and spread the love of Christ and the gospel of Christ. And instead, we use it to slander and to cut and to kill and to destroy. You take a gun that could be used for hunting and could be used to make meat, uh, to provide meat for your family and, and things like that, but instead, you have people who go off and use it to take someone else's life. What is wrong with us? We destroy these, these reputations. We, we, we destroy other people. We destroy our, our relationship to our parents, as it says there, being disobedient to our parents. And realize you destroy that reputation also when you disobey. When you disobey and people start looking at your parents and go, what is wrong with you? You, you, you're, you, you got them, right? Those are your kids, right? And you sit there with the shame. I, I, we talk all the time, Proverbs 10.1, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a shame to his mother. It's, it wrecks our reputation when you disobey. And you have so many that say, so? 
Who cares if I wreck this person's reputation so that I can get a promotion? Who cares if I wreck this person's reputation so I can get a little bit more fun? Who cares if I, if I you know, uh, uh, mock and defy the reputation of our great God and creator if that means that I can enjoy my life with a little more fun? And lastly, if it weren't bad enough, we destroy remorse. Look at verse 31. In all of these, I, I love that ESV uh, acknowledges it. Notice how each of these, except for the foolish one, notice the pattern of less there. It's, the, it's negated in the, in the Greek. So he says foolish in verse 31. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. You could, you could also say, um, uh, if you will, unthoughtful or unwise, unfaithful, uncaring, unrelenting. In other words, nothing is going to stop us. We don't care about the other person. We don't care about their reputation. We don't care about their livelihood. We don't care about their health. We don't care about their family. We don't care about their futures. We don't care about any of those things. All we care about is me. This is us. This is us. This is our world. Now, when we ask, when we look at society, and, and you notice so many people that look at society and, and they, they see this all over the place. They see the murder. They see the strife. They see the dog-eat-dog. Dog. They see all of this stuff in society. And, and then they ask a simple question. They go, what, what's the cause of all of this? Where did all this come from? Paul is so clear in telling us where it comes from. We don't approve of God. That's where it comes from. You can fix the government. Maybe. <laughs> you, can, you can try to fix the government. You can try to fix the laws. You can, you can try to fix the courts. You can try to fix the schools. You can try to fix businesses. You can try to fix all of these different things. But if you don't go to the heart of the problem, which is we don't approve of God then all of those things will only be little band-aids on a cancer. And it's not going to work. It's not going to work. The problem begins with our relationship with God. Which is why verse 32 is so devastating. We said we disapprove of knowing God. And so God gives us over to a disapproved mindset. And we respond to that in verse 32 with this. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They know that. You never talk to a person who doesn't know the judgment of God. I've heard comedians that say this all the time. You, you have somebody saying some type of raunchy, dirty joke or whatever, and then they, and then they say in just like this little quip, I, I know I'm going to hell. <laughs> and the whole audience laughs. Like that was a joke. Well, you're fully conscious of the fact that this is deserving of the wrath of God. That those who practice such things deserve to die. Notice, knowing this, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. 
We disapprove of knowing God, and so God gives us over to a disapproved mindset. And our response to that is we approve of wickedness despite the consequences. Not only do we continue to do these things, but then we give full approval to those who practice them. What does that look like in our day? It looks like a hashtag. That's what it looks like. What does it look like in our day? It looks like a fill-in-the-blank month. What does it look like? It looks like a parade. It looks like people saying, if you don't get on this bus, then we're going to run you over. It looks like support all over the place. It looks like rejection and marginalizing of anybody that would say anything otherwise. That's what it looks like today. This is our world. This is us, apart from Christ. Are you honest about yourself when you look in the mirror? Do you see this? Do you say, this is who I am apart from Christ? The question then that you ask is, how could I ever save myself? If this festers in every nook and cranny of my soul, how could I ever save myself? And I'm so glad you're thinking that. Because that's exactly where Paul wants you to be. That's exactly where God wants you to be. The answer to this is not you. The answer to this is not be a little bit better. Be a little bit better than you were before. That's not the answer. Be a little bit better than the person next to you. That's definitely not the answer. The answer is to look to Christ, who is the very righteousness that God demands of you. That's the answer. This is who we are apart from Christ. But when we put on the righteousness of Christ, all of these things are taken away, cleared from our record. God deletes it all, and he says, you are righteous because of Jesus. You say, you say what? Say what? Yeah, it's true. All of this that is true of you apart from Christ God takes away from your record when he covers you with the righteousness of Christ. There's some here who say, I don't understand what that means. Well, I'm glad you're asking. You're asking really good questions today. What, what does that mean? Well, it means this. We are this, what we just read in Romans 1. Jesus is none of this. Never has been, never will be any of this. Folks, that's worth a shout by itself. None of this is true of Jesus. Jesus lived the life that we could never live because we're so full of this. But he, being pure and holy and righteous in all of his ways, has never been this. And he lived the life that we could not live. We call that righteousness. Perfect record, batted a thousand. And Jesus, because he loves sinners said, I will take my record and I will gladly give it to anyone who will trust in me. And when you trust in me, I will take your record, what we just read, and I will put it onto myself and I will suffer the death and the suffering and the punishment that you deserve. 
Folks, there is no better news on earth than that. That our Lord, our Christ, our Savior is our Savior because he is perfect enough to be the righteousness that we that God requires of us. And he is loving enough to take our unrighteousness upon himself and suffer for it. And because that's true of Jesus, this here no longer has to be true of you. Do you hear that? You can receive God's seal of approval. You say, but, but the, look at all this stuff about me. He just said that those who practice these things deserve to die. Yes, you do deserve to die. But if you trust in Christ, all of that is taken away and you receive not the good housekeeping, maybe you could say the God housekeeping, seal of approval. Okay, You receive his seal of approval, and he says, from now and forever, you are righteous in my sight. You are mine, and I am yours, and nothing will ever change that. <laughs> you may be here today thinking that the solution to this in you is just to be a little bit better. I promise you, it cannot work. Not just it won't, it can't if God is as just as he says that he is. However, the Lord who requires death is the one who has given us the son of life. And if you trust in him, if you give him your life, he will give you his life and his righteousness. And he will give you the love that flows from the heart of our eternal God. And he will never be turned away again. Let's pray. Oh, Father, it's so hard to look in the mirror. If we're honest with ourselves, we know that what you say here is true of us. We could just take this as a checklist and say, have I ever been envious? Have I ever gossiped? Have I ever slandered? Have I ever been arrogant? Have I ever disobeyed my parents? Have I ever been unfaithful? Have I, have I ever been deceitful? We could just go all through the list of these things, and, and we can check them off one by one. Absolutely, these things are true of every single one of us. And thus... All of us stand under your just condemnation. And left to ourselves, there is no way out. But you have given us a Savior. You have provided a way. You have given us the way, the truth, the life in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I pray, Father, for those of us who trust in Jesus, Lord, would you guard us from the temptation of thinking that we're better than we are? And Lord, I pray that we would rest wholeheartedly on the truth that Jesus is everything that we cannot be. He is our identity, and we are who we are in Christ and in Christ alone. And if there are any here who do not trust Jesus, Father, I pray that they would look at themselves with the eyes of your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father, that they would see the reality. 
And may they look at Christ with the eyes of the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that they would see the real Jesus as he is in all of his glory, in all of his righteousness, in all of his love. And may they let go of this sense of, I've got to make my life right. I've got to do everything the right way. I've or, or, or reject all of that and say, I don't care anymore about standards. I'm just going to live my life any way I want to. May they give all of that away and say, just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. Trust in his death and his resurrection. Trust that only he can make me approved by you. Oh, Father, do a miracle here today. And may we sing. Sing as those who have been forgiven. Sing as those who have been redeemed. Sing as those who have been covered. Covered with the righteousness of Christ. We thank you, Father, for all these things, and we ask them in Jesus' name.